guys, you are listening to the Pioneering Today podcast with me, Melissa K. Norris, inspiring your faith and pioneer roots. And this is a very special episode because it is episode number 100 of the Pioneering Today podcast. So I want to welcome you and I'm so excited to have reached this milestone with the podcast. So on today's episode, we are actually going to be kicking off a new series and this is going to be part one. And it's how much money does homesteading cost and is it truly worth it? So for the part one, we're going to be diving into the cost of raising your own vegetables. So putting in a garden, raised gardening beds, the different types of options for your gardening beds and kind of the cost that that can include with your money and then how much it actually saves and is it actually worth it. And when we get into the rest of the series, then we'll be talking, we'll break down into specifics for livestock and some different things of homesteading as well. But today's episode is all about raising a vegetable garden. And in honor of our 100th episode, I'm going to want you to go to the blog post because I have a very special giveaway that we're going to be doing that I will talk about as we get closer to the end of this episode that's going to help you if you decide to implement more of raising your own food with vegetables and the homestead part that will help you cut your costs down. Hallelujah, because we all like our costs cut down. I'm really excited for this particular episode of the podcast because number one, this was actually a reader question that came in. And I love it when people send me questions because it really helps me to know what you guys are needing help with or what people might be wondering about. Because I know if one person is wondering about it or needs help with it, most likely there's more than just the one. And so it was a reader question on, you know, does this whole homesteading lifestyle, raising your own food, doing all of this stuff yourself, becoming more self-sufficient, how much does it really cost? If you're not really doing any of those things and you're looking to get started, how much money are you looking to invest? And is it really, truly saving money? Because I don't know about you, but a lot of times I'll see, especially that people will be like, save, you know, $100 by doing this or save X amount of dollars if you just do this one simple thing or this one simple trick. And... Sometimes that's true and sometimes it's not. So I want to give you a very real look, real life, like real expectations, not glamorizing things type of look at raising your own food and what all that involves. So that's kind of what we're going to be diving into as we get into this whole series. And today we're talking about, like I said, specifically on your vegetables. And this is a really great question, but the reason I have to make it a series is because there's so many different parts to the answer and on so many different levels that I really cannot get to the heart of that and really cover it all in just one episode. So we're going to make this a series. When it comes to regard in vegetables and vegetable gardening is because this is usually the easiest place for most people to start. And it's also the most versatile pretty much no matter where you live. Now, depending upon where you live, that will have some impact on how long your growing season is. So how long, how many months out of the year you're actually able to grow vegetables and some of the type of the vegetables that you'll be able to grow. Because if you are in a super, super hot climate, like down in Arizona where it gets really hot during those summer months, there's going to be some of the cooler weather crops that you're not going to really be able to grow and probably not much of anything in the dead heat of summer. So for example, things like broccoli, 
lettuce, your coal crops, cabbage, those type of things, those are considered more cooler weather crops. They don't do so well when it's really super hot out. So you're not going to really be able to grow that. But if you're in those hot areas, tomatoes, peppers, okra, and I'm a little bit jealous because we are too cold up here for sweet potatoes and okra, you're going to be able to grow those crops. So you're going to be able to do citrus fruits when you're really hot. We're up here in the Pacific Northwest where I'm at. We are much too cold for citrus because we get down into this winter. We've been down to almost zero degrees Fahrenheit. We've been to four degrees Fahrenheit, and then we've had a wind chill on top of that. So citrus fruit isn't going to make it here. You're going to have to know a little bit of the area of the country, but most people, no matter where you live or the world, because we have really exciting. We've got some listeners from South Africa, all different places, Australia, over the pond in Europe. So it's super fun. But it's going to just depend upon what will grow in your area. Most of us can grow some type of vegetable, even if we live in an apartment, because vegetables you can grow, especially things like lettuce, those grow really well, herbs in containers. So even if you just got a little old patio or a little bit of a windowsill, you can grow something of a vegetable. Of course, the more area you have, the more yard space you have, and if you have acreage, you're going to be able to grow a lot more. But that's why I picked vegetables because most of us, this is going to relate to most of us on any any type of level. The cost of growing a vegetable garden. Again, this is going to depend upon the size of the garden that you decide to put in with the space that you have available. Now, first, we're going to talk about seeds a little bit. So if you are purchasing your garden seed, then on an, for an average spaced garden, and I'm going to say go by what our average is, which is a 35 foot by 35 foot square plot where the majority of our summer vegetables and most of our vegetables for a big summer garden go in. I'm going to guesstimate between $25 and $50 is what you would spend on your seeds and some starts for your first year. You know, you all know if you've listened or read anything of mine that I am a huge, huge, huge fan of heirloom seeds. Heirloom seeds are the only type of seeds that we use in our garden. And my family has been seed saving our own strain of, we call them Tar Heel green beans. They're a pole bean that my grandparents brought with them from North Carolina and the Appalachian Mountains when they came out here to Washington State where we are, I live, in the 1940s. We also have an October bean, which is a shelled bean that is usually ready for harvest come October, hence the name. And those are two strains of beans that we've never purchased from the store and they've been handed down for generations in my family, which is an heirloom seed. Heirloom seeds or open pollinated seeds are seeds that you can seed save and they will come back every year true to form. Hybrid seeds will not. Hybrid seeds are not candidates for seed saving and you have to purchase them every year again in the store. And I've got some previous episodes on the blog post I will link to in the show notes if you want to get a little bit more information on the difference between the different types of seeds so you can check that out. But that's just kind of a brief uh, recap there and definition of your seeds. I'm hoping that you decide if you're going to be buying seeds to only purchase heirloom seeds because you can then seed save from them every year for your from your harvest and then replant the following year and your seed cost will go down. And remember I said there's going to be some special stuff going on, including a giveaway. I'm going to give you a little hint. I'll tell you more about it at the end of the episode it has to do with heirloom seeds. Okay. Next up. So what type of beds? Generally, there's raised beds or just a regular garden plot where it's just your ground is tilled up and the garden is just right there in the ground. Or we have raised beds. So if you're doing raised beds, raised beds have a, there's a lot of people like raised beds 
for a couple of different reasons. So a raised bed can be done in a small area. You can just put one raised bed in you can, or you can put many in. Two, when the soil is raised up like that, it's a lot easier for people. You can make the beds raised because you're, hence it's raised, right? It's above the level of the ground. You're raising it up. And so people who have back trouble or if you're in a wheelchair, that type of thing, you can still garden in a raised gardening bed because you've raised that level of soil up and you can easily reach across it and access it easier. So that's another reason for doing raised beds. Raised beds worked well if you are in an area where the soil is really compact or it's not good growing soil that you have to amend it a lot. It's oftentimes easier to bring in compost and good garden soil and in a raised bed than try to incorporate it into poor soil that might already be in the ground. So if you've got really rocky soil, that type of thing, raised beds can be really great in those instances as well. And then of course, when it comes to weed control, when you're doing a raised bed, you've got the barrier of whatever you're raising your bed up with. And a lot of times people will put a layer down of weed blocker, you know, the, the weed fabric, that type of thing. So a lot of times there can be less weeds as well. So raised beds have got, you know, multiple purposes there on why people like them. They can be very pleasing to the eye, so they can look great in landscaping. So there's lots of different reasons there for the popularity of raised bed gardening. When we talk about doing a raised bed, which I'm going to cover regular gardening too, because I actually don't have very many raised beds in our garden and on our spot. But what I want this to do is I want this to give you a really broad view of all the different things that you can do and then you can pick what's going to work best for you in the situation that you're in right now and this year to get going to start raising some of your own food. When we're talking about raised bed options, a lot of times you will see the raised beds, you'll see them with lumber. Now, cedar is naturally long-lasting and rot-resistant. So if you live in an area where you get snow or a lot of rain like here in the Pacific Northwest. Cedar is a naturally long-lasting wood. Redwoods are another popular choice. So it's going to depend upon your your area, but those are some popular choices. Now, I'm not going to tell you what's the best because I actually have not researched it enough to give you an answer on my own. But what I will give you a caveat is if you are using treated lumber, so lumber that has been treated to make it more durable and less resistance to rot, research the specific type of lumber that you're purchasing that's been treated, what it's been treated with. If it's a chemical or a pesticide that you would not want in your food, then you would not want to choose that one. So I'm just going to tell you to do your own research there. If you're using pallet boards, a lot of those will come with different stamps on them. If you're looking at for free sources of wood, if you're looking at a pallet board, look and see what it's been stamped with. And that'll kind of let you know what it's been treated with because Whatever we're putting down, and it's going to be the barrier for our garden, the soil is going to be touching that, and of course, the water. And over time, whatever's been treated, that will leach in and break down and get into the soil. Then that's where your plants are growing that we're growing for us to eat, right? So I just want to give you that caveat. If you're using lumber and it's been treated with something, do your research and make sure that it's going to be food safe and it's something that you're comfortable with your family eating things that have been in contact with that. Next up is rocks. So river rocks, any kind of rocks that you can find, those can make great raised beds. You'll stack them together to create some rows and stack on top of them. And if you live in an area where you can get those easily and oftentimes for free, then that can be a great thing too. Now some people, and again, this is where you're going to have to do your research. A lot of people will use old tires. So they'll line the, I'm talking like the really big like from log trucks and semi trucks and big equipment, those tires are huge. 
and they can be really, really deep. So a lot of times people will line those, fill them with soil, and they'll use that for a raised bed. Some people will use cinder blocks, cement blocks. So these are just kind of all ideas to get you thinking about supplies you might have or ways that you can get these. And of course, if you can get them for free and reuse them from somewhere, that's the way I like to roll. But you'll want to do a little bit of research to make sure that it, they're food safe. But these are options different people use. So size of a raised bed. Well, this is going to depend upon, again, how much space you have. But these are some general guidelines. So the most important part, actually, with a raised bed when we come to the sizes, the depth, how much soil is in there. Because most plants need at least a minimum of 12 inches of dirt for the roots to be able to go all the way down. And then again, if it's too shallow, then you run the risk of when you water, you're underwatering. And what happens is, is if you don't have a lot of soil, then when you water it and there's not a lot of soil depth there, it's going to dry out really fast. And this can be really bad, especially in the summertime because you'll have watered, but then as the hot part of the day comes around, there's not enough soil down there for the roots. And so it can't hold enough water for it to give the plant water throughout the whole day. So I would a minimum of 12 inches and go deeper if you can, because a lot of plants that like to go really deep, for example, tomatoes, tomatoes actually have quite an expansive root system. And if you can plant a tomato deep, it will be healthier and it will actually produce a lot more food for you, which we want. We want to get the maximum amount of harvest per space or per plant that we're planting that we possibly can. Going deeper, depth wise on your raised beds is going to be really the best bet for you. Now, width and is usually between three and four feet. So one of the benefits of a raised bed is you can walk between the beds or you can reach from one side to the other. So most people don't go beyond three to four feet in width. And length is as long as you want is space-wise that you have, depending upon the tools that you're using, length can be a little bit more variable. Usually the width and, and the, especially the depth are the most important things. I did a really fun thing because I wanted to see what are the actual prices and if people thought it was worth it that they have spent putting in raised garden beds or gardens. So on my Facebook page, I asked this question and y'all are awesome and you gave pictures and dollar amounts broken down and it, it was great. And so I'm really excited because in this episode, many of you said that I could use your pictures and your actual story. So these are case studies of how much these different raised beds cost and the gardens cost of putting it in. And if people thought it was worth it and that they would invest that same amount of money again, if they had it to do over. So I've got in the blog post, so you can access that, the show notes for this episode at melissaknorris.com go to the podcast button. It's episode number 100. So you can see all of the pictures and stuff for yourself. I'm a very visual person. I like to actually see things laid out. You can see all of that because it's been really fun, but I'll give you the recap here too as well. From Michelle, and I love her picture because it's got her chickens in there, but she says for the cost-wise, not including the chickens, that her raised beds were less than $500. She used cement blocks that they already had, and so they've got their cement blocks there that are the outline in the raised part of the bed. And then they purchased some bulk soil compost and lava sand. They did five raised beds and there are various sizes, which you can see in the picture. And they also did a tire garden where they use, like I mentioned, the big tires. Those were free for them. And so they used those. And they said that the soil was less than $50 for the bulk amount that they purchased. 
Now, I will say for average between, and we've got several different case studies here that I'm going to walk you through, but averagely, depending upon the size of the bed and how many they put in, averaging was about $50 all the way up to $2,200, and that $2,200 mark was for all of the raised beds and fully enclosed fencing, wiring, like the whole shebang. But I'm going to walk you through some of these. And of course, I encourage you to go through and look at the pictures as well. David has 14 raised beds and most of his are four boards high. And he mentioned when you go higher up, which is what I said earlier, is that helps save your back. So if you've got back trouble or bending over, that type of thing, then a raised bed can be a really big benefit versus just your regular in the soil type garden. And his are between um, 4x4s, 4x10, and 4x12. He says that they use 2x6 lumber, which makes each box 22 inches tall, just shy of 2 feet. And they use some 1x2s on the inside of the long edge to help keep all of the four by boards aligned. And I love this. So what he filled his with was leaf compost that he got from a neighbor. And he said it's like magic soil. And in the picture, he shows one of the raised beds with one acorn squash that was planted in this raised bed. And you guys get this. So this is where it starts. Is it worth it? And does it save you money? He had one acorn squash plant that produced 51 fruit. So he got 51 acorn squash off of one squash plant. That's pretty amazing and awesome. And he said that each of the four by 12 boxes cost about $45 worth of lumber. So there you go. That's kind of where that averages between 45 and 50 to do one box of a four by 12 size. Kelly and their garden they have eight raised beds of various sizes, and the boxes that they made were from recycled deck wood that they got for free just for taking it apart and hauling it away. So oftentimes, if you've got old barns or people are rebuilding, doing some construction and stuff, they'll have a lot of old boards. We actually, this worked really well for us. We had some people who had some old cedar decking that they were taking off. And the cedar hadn't been treated. It was just cedar lumber. And we were able to do some raised beds and different projects with that as well. So keep your eyes out, you know, Craigslist, Facebook, all those kind of things. Or even if it's in your neighborhood and you see someone tearing down something, a lot of times if they're not reusing that in the next building project, and especially true if it's like contractors and stuff, a lot of times you can get that scrap stuff for free. And if not free, for really super cheap. So check that out. Keep your eye open. Kelly said for their eight raised beds, they trucked in the topsoil by the cubic yard, and she estimates they spent between three to $400 on the dirt. And then they also had an original walk path around the boxes that was grass, but then they later added in weed blocker and river rocks. So keep that in mind too. As you're putting in beds or your garden or your homestead, usually we're constantly adding or improving things to the existing. So you don't have to, it doesn't have to be all or nothing all at once. You can build upon these things. For Sherry's, she says that inside they have a 42 by 50 foot enclosure. And in that they have three, they have eight by eight by 12 raised beds, three of those by those dimensions, and a small greenhouse. The rest of the garden area they planted directly in the ground. So you can do that too. You can have combinations of raised beds and then just in the ground gardening as well. And the total cost of theirs, excluding the greenhouse, because they have a greenhouse in there, was about $500. As she said, her husband did her husband did all the work himself, and they used a combination of new wood and recycled. The main cost was the wire fencing, which they had to put in six-foot fencing due to the deer. Next up in our case study is Ginny. 
And Jenny has nine raised beds, and they are three by five feet. It's enclosed because they have an abundance of wildlife. And that can also, a lot of times, having wildlife, specifically squirrels, rabbits, and deers, are usually the worst of the culprits when it comes to going in and raiding and wrecking your garden, getting the produce before we do. So for their enclosure, because they went up, they have really tall walls, completely gated in, wired, and they also have mesh on top. So it's completely enclosed to keep the critters out. And then the wire that they put in for the fencing also goes two feet down into the ground. So for those critters that like to burrow and get under things to help deter them as well. So she said that for the beds in the enclosure, hers was $2,200, so $2,200. That didn't include the soil, seeds, or starts. And her garden is a 20 by 30 area, totally enclosed with the wire fencing. She feels it was totally worth it. They don't have to worry about the deer, the raccoons, armadillos, possums, rabbits. Okay, see, Jenny's in a different part of the country than me. I would never have to worry about armadillos. And so I love that she put that in there because each of us, which is why I love doing case studies like with real live folks, have different critters and aspects that you have to overcome depending upon where you live. And with the netting, she says that the ladybugs and the butterflies get in just fine for pollinating. So that so that's another thing. If you're going to completely enclose it, make sure that the openings are big enough for your bees and all of your good pollinators to get in there so that you get a good crop. Now we've been talking about raised garden beds, but we have here on our homestead, we do a regular garden bed. I do want to put some raised beds in for some herbs and some different things, strawberries and that kind of thing. But right now, we just have our regular garden bed. So the majority of our vegetables are raised in a 35 by 30 foot enclosed garden plot. And I've got pictures up on the blog so you can catch those in the show notes too. Then we also have a homemade greenhouse that houses all of our tomato and our pepper plants. So the greenhouse, which you see in the picture too, it's actually an old metal framed carport shed. It's like those movable ones. I think we got it at Costco and you can park, you know, like a a boat or it's got, you know, it's kind of like a canopy basically with canvas or tarp sides. And it just has a metal frame instead of the plastic ones. And we had gotten it for our boat and used it for, oh my goodness, I like seven or eight years. And then the plastic, the tarp, the canvas part, just got rotted and disintegrated. So we were left with this frame. We had this frame and it was metal. And so that's what we decided to use for the greenhouse to keep the tomatoes and the peppers undercover. Because here in the Pacific Northwest, that's the only way that I can get a really good decent crop and not have blight take over. We purchased some greenhouse plastic and fasteners to fasten it on to convert it over. And it was about $300, including shipping, And that was four years ago that we did that for the greenhouse. And I have to tell you, it has been worth every single penny. And we have left it up, plastic fasteners and all, all throughout the winters, the snow, the rain, the wind, and it has held up really good. Like I said, we're going on year four now. Been really, really pleased with it. And it's been worth it because I raise about 18 tomato plants and six pepper plants in there every summer and though they produce enough with the tomatoes just in that that low it's not that big of a greenhouse but it produces enough from those plants for me to for us to eat fresh of course and then to preserve all of our tomato products 
for the entire year. I don't buy spaghetti sauce, pizza sauce, tomato sauce, canned tomatoes, stewed tomatoes, dehydrated tomatoes. I don't purchase any of that from the store. Salsa. So anything from tomatoes. And then, of course, I make, I make tomato soup, um, vegetable soup that's based with the tomatoes. I'm trying to remember all of the tomato stuff that I get from those. All of that is from that little greenhouse. And so that feeds my family all of our tomato products for the entire year, which is, I think, is pretty amazing and is totally worth it for that $300 investment from four years ago. So, you know, break that down. What is that? Um, 75 bucks for all of that pretty, pretty awesome. And it will keep on going. It's nowhere near being, you know, ready to be needing to be replaced or anything at this point. Now with our garden, I, we fence our garden in, but I don't have to have it totally um, enclosed with by meaning over top. So our fence is about three foot high and we just use the metal T posts. And then it's about a three by two inch wire mesh gauge fencing. And we purchased the same, the, it's the same fence post, same wire mesh fencing that we put in 10 years ago when we put the garden in here on our property. Average cost, I'm guessing, for the fencing and the fence posts, about 80 bucks, maybe a little bit more, but this was like 10 years ago. And we're it's all still the original. We don't have it really high, but it helps keep, you know, dogs and cats. Well, the cats will jump over, but our cat doesn't go in there, but it's going to keep dogs out. And our biggest thing is to just keep the deer out of it. Now the deer technically could jump over. I mean, they can clear a three, four foot fence, no problem, but we, I haven't had that problem. I haven't had any deer jumping in and eating my stuff. I think there's enough foliage and other things around here for the deer that they're not going to try to get into my garden. Instead, they try to wreck my fruit trees, which will be another episode. But it works really good. And the, another reason that we have a fence too is because we do have cattle and they're right there. And so if cows get out and then we've got, you know, there's um, other livestock in the neighborhood, horses and stuff. And so if they get out and, and, you know, run through something, I want the fence up so that they don't trample through the garden. Having the fence up has been a great investment and I would definitely recommend having the fence up. Plus it helps keep, like I said, dogs and out because I don't want a dog going to the bathroom where I'm growing my vegetables. So that's just... That's just the real deal there. Okay, so the big question, so that can be your estimated costs for putting in the vegetables garden. You know, we've went over those and got pictures. How much money do you save and is it worth it? Do I think it's worth it? I absolutely think it's worth it for so many different reasons. One, I think it's worth it because... I know exactly what's going into my food. We practice all organic practices when we're growing. I don't use chemicals and pesticides. Two, it's always cheaper if you are doing the work because whenever we're purchasing something from a store, we're paying for labor. So we grow our big vegetable garden and my husband and the kids help and my husband and I both work full time, you know, but really with growing the vegetables and getting them in, if you just break it down and do a little bit every day during the actual, you know, planting, prepping the garden and then planting are probably the biggest time chunks right in the beginning because we spend one full day planting everything. I do start seeds inside really throughout the week when it comes to just weeding and harvesting and, and general care like that. We probably only put in maybe, maybe one to two hours a week during the growing season. I don't really put that much in when it comes to actual the garden. I probably put more into preserving it than we do actually the growing of it. So it's really not that much of a time issue for us. And it definitely saves us money. So just this week, because I only have one jar of canned beets left, which 
makes me know that I need to put more up and grow more this year. So I went and bought some beets at the grocery store. So I purchased eight medium beets and it cost me almost $5 for those medium sized eight beets. And I did buy organic because when we're comparing costs with homegrown versus the store, which you really can't because homegrown, when you harvest it right off of the vine, it actually has more nutrients in it and more flavor because as soon as you pick something and take it off of the vine and away from it, it begins to lose its nutrients. So the longer something has been picked and harvested before you actually eat it, so think shipping time, setting on the store shelves, that kind of a thing, it's losing some of its vitamins and minerals. So homegrown is just naturally healthier for you right there and then. Plus, you're letting it ripen on the vine so it has full flavor. You get much more of a flavor depth with the homegrowns, at least that's been my experience and pretty much anybody I've talked to who's raised their own food than you do from purchasing it from the stores. That right there is worth it for me. But we need to, when you're doing a true price comparison, you got to make sure that you're really comparing the same things. I have to compare mine to organic because that's how we grow ours. Like I said, eight beets was $5. I know that I save a ton when I grow that myself because that that's a big portion of the grocery bill. If you just think eight medium beets and your vegetables for the whole week. So I've mentioned in the past that I preserve or can about 400 jars of food from our garden and our livestock every year. And then, of course, when the garden is in full growing season, we're eating from it fresh as well. So we're eating the fresh fruit and vegetables. With just our bean and tomato crop, I guesstimate that we save about $500 with those cans of food. So those canned jars of food. That's not counting what we're eating fresh or dehydrating. And I save the seeds. So I don't have the expense of the seeds when it comes to replanting or to regrowing those items either. So it's basically that's free food. Just our vegetable garden. So we grow tomatoes, peppers, garlic, onions, all kinds of summer squash, winter squash, and then some of the brassica. So usually do some lettuce and kale and cabbage and broccoli, Brussels sprouts and all that kind of thing from just the vegetables, not counting our fruit trees, blueberries, raspberries, that kind of a thing, just for the the main vegetable garden. I am guessing that we have to save at least $1,000 on food costs for the year. Probably more, but because I've always had a garden, so I've never purchased green beans from the store. We raised my mom, canned them all on that. I really don't have a before and after to accurately compare because I've always canned and had some food grown and preserved at home. And then we've increased that every year as we've went on. So that's a rough guesstimation, but I know it's at least a hundred to $200 we save every month on our food bill by being able to use the stuff that we've grown at home. And I do have some additional resources for you as well that are going to be in the show notes, some of our past episodes. In particular, episode number 84, I've got best plants for companion planting and preserving secrets for natural pest control. Episode number 76 is the best vegetables for small spaces and self-sufficiency. So if you are limited on space, then you're going to want to check that one out. Episode number 75 is tips to successfully growing your own food. And I kept talking and I kept promising that we were having something special because it was the 100th episode. Okay. Okay. I am doing a giveaway of our 
my family's strain of the heirloom green beans and the October beans. So you can go and enter to win some of those. I've never seen them available in stores or seed catalogs. So I want to give you guys some of that, but I don't have enough seed to give to everybody. So we're going to do it in the giveaway. So there's going to be some multiple entries to win the seed. And then I'm also going to be giving away. So we'll have a grand prize, $25 gift certificate to Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds. They have probably the most extensive heirloom, only heirloom seed catalog with some really cool, They I love that they have the history and the stories behind some of the seeds, where they came from, the years or different families on where they got them, kind of the that particular plant's characteristics and how long it it's just a really cool seed catalog. It has usually the days so that you can plan if you have a shorter um, growing period, then it'll tell you 50 days for this one to come to harvest and fruition and different things like that. So I'm going to have a $25 gift certificate that you can go and get some seeds from there. And then I'm also going to have, and then I'm also going to have in the giveaway a copy of my book, The Made from Scratch Life, Simple Ways to Create a Natural Home which we have a full gardening chapter in there with some great charts that will help you with putting your garden in that you can plug in your dates for your first and last frost date and it'll help you know when to plant. And then I'm also going to have another book in there that's a really great book, a gardening book. It's one of my favorite references actually that I use. And it also goes into the specifics on seed saving because seed saving is a whole nother podcast, whole nother episode on being able to successfully seed save um, is because there's issues with cross pollination and different things like that on keeping your seed strain pure when it comes to seeding. And then there's just, there's lots of things involved with seed saving that will give you information on how to successfully seed save. Giveaway will be going until Sunday, February 19th, 2017. So get yourself on over to the show notes to this, melissaknorris.com podcast podcast episode number 100 so that you can enter the giveaway and see all of the really cool pictures and case studies that we've got on the different gardening areas and gardening beds because I believe that it's totally worth it to be raising your own food. And I really would love to help give you these tools and resources with the giveaway and the information to for you if you're brand new to putting in your first garden or because it, here's the deal. I don't know about the rest of y'all, but for me, Every year, I like to add a little bit more. So when we first started out, we just had the regular garden plot. We're actually extending that. We're extending the 35 by 35 foot plot. We're going to put in a little bit more of a garden bed there. Then we added the greenhouse, and I want to put some raised beds in this year. So every year, we like to add a little bit more, but adding a little bit more time at a time has been really good because it means that we get a complete handle on what we've already got. And so that we're not completely overwhelmed both monetarily or time-wise or with just the sheer amount of the crop that we're putting in. And for our verse of the week, I think this one is very fitting being as we are talking about growing things. And it is from John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever lives in me and I in him bears much abundant fruit. However, apart from me, cut off from vital union with me, you can do nothing. And as we as I we garden and grow things, and especially when it comes to pruning, which at the time of this recording will be in the next month or so here, we actually got our grapes already pruned, but we'll be going into the blueberries and the raspberries and all the rest of the fruit trees. When you garden and you actually see the whole cycle of 
building the soil and preparing the soil bed and then you're putting the seed or the plant in and you're watching it grow and come to harvest and then you're harvesting it and you're saving the seed. All of the parables in the Bible and so many things, you really see God's hand in them and they make so much more sense. I tell you, I do probably, when I'm gardening and out doing things, I do some of my uh, most communing and talking with Jesus and praying than I do probably any other time. I really feel so connected to him and to the earth when I'm out in what he created, which is nature. And when you see that complete cycle of when you put that seed in the ground and you put it in, it's just, you know, it's covered in dirt and it's dark. And then the rain comes and you, or you provide the rain if you're watering, depending upon where you live. And then you watch it sprout and grow. And I'm reminded how often we have those bleak, dark times in our life where it just feels that you're covered in darkness or things are really hard things are going on. But God is at work. We don't see it. But he's at work and he's preparing things. And pretty soon he's going to bring new life from that darkness. And so that's I'm always reminded of that whenever I'm planting, especially getting the soil ready this time of year and beginning to plant and plant it out, that that's how he works. So I wanted to share that verse with you just a little bit that I encourage you to grow a garden and grow your own food, not just for the nutritional and the money saving and the self-sufficiency benefits, but also for the spiritual ones as well. Get yourself on over and enter that giveaway so that you can get a leg up on this year's growing season and putting in your heirloom vegetable garden.